0: All right. Welcome. Welcome. Episode number 89 of the Beard Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We're bringing the latest and greatest every Monday morning in internet marketing. You can catch us every Monday morning at com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher radio. All right. Now that that's out of the way, what are we drinking to get in the mood to bring everybody the latest and greatest? I'm doing I'm gonna go first this okay I'm gonna switch it up
1: I know you about to say it but I'm gonna go first <laughs> nothing exciting this time I'm sorry but <laughs> Moscow Mule. that's all I'm doing given that we're in the dead heat of winter here in Florida at a balmy 70 degrees I decided to go back and do a margarita Bring back some summer. What? Remembering the sunshine, the tan, the palm trees, all of that. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. Mixing it up a bit. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Interesting lineup. I mean, first and foremost, we're going to be doing a download. What happened? A full DL. Over the holiday weekend. We made I it through. Hopefully we, you did too. I survived. There were some <laughs> casualties, but I survived. Had to sweat out some turkey at the gym for a little bit, but to get back to feeling human. I had to sweat out the pies, not the <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Got some desserts in, I see. So we're going to do a download on over the holiday weekend, what happened in e-commerce. We're going to go over some common landing page mistakes that are easy to make. But also, hopefully after we talk about them, easy to avoid, Rob's going to get his professor hat on and tell us about some email facts and tests that you maybe need to consider going to 2015. You know, 2014 is on the way out. We're starting to plan on what we need to do in the email world. What are some things that we need to have on our roadmaps? We're going to look at some new staggering statistics on how social is driving traffic now as sites and why we need to be paying attention to it? It seems like a gimme. Social, we need to be paying attention to that. But here's some actual numbers to put some gust behind why you should really care. And it would not be an episode if we did not talk about our favorite search engine, Google. What are some things happening there that you need to be paying attention to? And we actually have quite a bit in our Google Corner this week. So a fair amount of goodies to stick around for. So let's go ahead and get started. Rob... What happened? I mean, <laughs> what happened over this holiday weekend? It's all a blur for me. What a lot of super nights and a nightmare, but exhilarating
0: at the same time. All right. So I'm going to drop some stats on everybody. I'll be maybe sort of benchmark how you performed, but also just give you a feel for uh, what kind of spending is going on during this. What is it even really called? I guess the Thanksgiving week slash weekend or whatever we... We'll call it a gobbler marathon. It's all basically one day at this. It's, right. It's a conglomeration of all of these. So turkey. <laughs> weekend. First things first, I'm going to talk about an article from Search Engine Land, where they talk about paid search spending over this Thanksgiving week and how it compares to 2013. All right. So overall search spend is, is the number I'm going to be comparing to. In general, the entire week was up pretty significantly. But I want to talk about a few key days. So for example, the Tuesday and Wednesday before Thanksgiving, up 37, 36% in paid search spending. Google, man, they've already making wow. billions. Now they're mm-hmm. making... That many more billions. (laughs) Add zeros. (laughs) (laughs) Thanksgiving, overall search spend up 49%. Black Friday, not up very much, 24%. Um, Which I, that
1: actually kind of goes to what we were talking about, though, a couple of yeah. episodes ago. That seems to be the tried and tested old faithful holiday. Now we're getting into this new territory of before or later on, bridging this gap to Cyber Monday. That's where the big shakeups were. And it seems like the, maybe the data is actually bearing that out. After we talk about these search
0: numbers, I'm going to talk about some of the other channels and just overall numbers to compare these things, too. But I think part of this is maybe that, I mean, we are looking at search numbers. So people probably aren't searching on Black Friday. They already know what they're going for, right? Maybe they're searching it out on Thanksgiving and trying to find those deals. But anyway, Black Friday is only up 24%, which, you know, it sounds weird to say it's only up. But (laughs) I mean, that's a huge number to be up. That Saturday and Sunday following Black Friday, up 35 and 34% respectively. Cyber Monday, only up 18%. So the huge lead there is on the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thanksgiving preceding Black Friday, huge increases in page search spends. This data, again, from searchengineland.com Specifically from Kin Shu, who did the research on this. All right, so that's paid search spending and how much it has increased year over year. Let's talk about revenue now. Okay. How much more money are we making? I know how much mm. we're spending now. All right. I mean, paid search is fiercely competitive, especially during the holidays. Everybody's trying to outcompete everybody and spend more, get higher clicks, all those sort of things. So let's talk about revenue. This is an article from Castora.com. Again, we try to tweet these things out so you can follow up if you want to. The main point they're leading with is that revenue over the entire holiday weekend is up 15% over 2013. So as you saw with those paid search numbers, those are up pretty significantly, not Mm -hmm. nearly as much as 15%, but this is revenue total on the internet, specifically on a few key days, so Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday. Thanksgiving saw a 17.7% increase in revenue, Black Friday a 20.6% increase in revenue, and Cyber Monday a 15.4% increase in revenue. Overall, though, Cyber Monday, the reigning champion now, hands down the biggest revenue day for online sales is Cyber Monday.
1: Seems to actually point to there's more cooks in the kitchen or more people competing for that traffic. So given the rise in spend that was outpacing the increase in revenue, it seems like traffic in these days is now costlier or, you know, to gain these visitors is going to mean a higher cost for the company to actually acquisition these visits. So, you know, as you're budgeting for this year or just that just might be a steady trend over the last couple of years. I mean, online is no longer this sort of fringe way to get business. Many companies are now doing online commerce and business. So I would wonder how that charts against just general growth in the area. But those numbers do seem to indicate that while we're making a little bit more money in revenue, it's actually... costlier traffic as well. So factor that into your budgets.
0: Exactly. Margins are getting thinner. All right. So I want to talk about mobile because this is the newest thing. I mean, obviously, every Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday is bigger than the year before. We all know this. We also know that mobile is likely going to be bigger year over year. But how much bigger? That's what matters here, right? Mm -hmm. And which devices are people using to purchase things online? So let's look at Cyber Monday. 21.9% of orders were purchased on mobile devices That's compared to 15.9% in 2013. Uh, For the entire holiday weekend, mobile shopping accounted for 26.4% of revenue. Black Friday, though... Almost a third of orders are from mobile devices. 30.3% of orders are on mobile devices on Black Friday. Just insane numbers. Again, roughly a third on Black Friday are from mobile devices. If you guys aren't out there running responsive websites, email campaigns that look great on phones, websites that work well, which can sometimes be difficult in the e-commerce sure. world, on phone devices, you are missing out on a huge
1: segment of the market these days. And one thing I want to clarify because I think sometimes this gets lost with people. You're not talking about actual visitors. You're talking about commerce being transacted on Mm -hmm. these devices. You know, I think there's a lot of individuals out there that hold these beliefs that people do a lot of visiting from mobile devices, but the commerce isn't very strong. But what you're talking about is a third of overall transactions are occurring on these devices. And that for your IT team and businesses makes the case for everything that Rob just laid out. I mean, making sure that you're your websites look well, that you're doing testing, and that everything is functioning well for those visitors is supremely important because what business can really afford to piss away, you know, a third of potential revenue really behooves companies. It's not something that you can just ignore at this point. All right. Three more points I want to mention. I know this is a lot we're talking about
0: over this Thanksgiving weekend, but I think these things are important to mention. So following up on the mobile there, Apple still dominates e-commerce sales Android devices are slowly sort of catching up, but the vast majority are on Apple devices. Again, 78% of mobile device sales were on an Apple device, an iPad or an iPhone, or I guess some fringe cases of like like touch iPods or something like that maybe is possible on a Wi-Fi network Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. 21.6 percent happened on Android devices but the share is down so Apple last year did 84.1 percent of sales so it's gone down a little bit Android's share has gone up a bit so the fourth point I want to make here is email marketing and Google specifically search were the key to e-commerce success far and away the largest drivers of traffic and sales over that weekend come from email marketing and search just anecdotally from the things that I've seen the clients we we work with and partners mm-hmm. and everything like that uh, email marketing yeah. was insanely massive oh, for yeah. everybody just a few targeted sends over that weekend can lead to massive sales finally social media which we're going to be talking about again later or i'm going to be talking about <laughs> again later was not a meaningful channel during the holiday weekend. Only 1.7% of e-commerce sales came from uh, social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. So interesting that people aren't going to some of those channels to research things. I, I mean, we could probably spend a whole nother podcast episode talking about where they might be, but let's move on and talk about some other things, but some interesting things obviously sure. to know about the weekend. Take all those things to heart, and maybe next year will be better for everybody out there listening to the podcast. All right, let's move on.
1: All right, so the next thing I wanted to spend some time on is an article put out by Crazy Eggs Blog. Definitely some interesting content that they put out on the regular. You might have to sift through some things, but I wanted to talk about this article in particular Landing Page Mistakes to Avoid. And I thought they had some tips that are worth mentioning. I think a lot of people sort of gloss over these, and I wanted to add some in that aren't in the article, but ones that I come across time and time again through our work. A couple ones I did want to talk about, I'm going to summarize some of these. They talk about that the call to action button doesn't really stand out, and I'm actually going to take a step back and say what a lot of companies suffer from, particularly with landing pages, but just overall web design, is over-competing with yourself to where your design gets washed out in color. And what they're talking about in this article in particular is sometimes you have so much going on that as a visitor coming to a page, I, I don't really see where the next step is. How do I progress? Where is that call to action? But for many businesses, this is a larger problem in that they have all these elements on their website they have the navigation, they have these maybe promo banners, they have these call-outs to sign up for their newsletter, all these types of things. And in an effort to get your attention, you know, they'll splash some color on there, or maybe they'll throw in some animations or things like that. And what ends up happening is as a visitor, you just become overwhelmed. You don't really know where to start. Your eyes are jumping all over the page. And so it's not just the call to action that a lot of landing pages struggle with and making it stand out from the page. It's actually that the page stands out so much in so many different areas I don't know really where to start, and you're over-competing yourself. It's almost like maybe you have conversations with certain friends where they're always cutting you off or jumping into your conversations or yelling over one another, and that is actually what your website is doing with each other. All these different elements are sort of yelling for the attention of the user, and at the end, they all suffer. There's some other ones that I think are a bit of a stretch in talking about call to actions, not inspiring the visitors, things of that nature. Personally, I think a call to action really shouldn't be pulling up your conversion rates that much, you should be doing the selling and the hooking of visitors, not just on your button. If a button is really causing that much lift on your page, I think you actually have some deeper problems going on than just your button copy. So I do think that copy optimization is important but really how your CTA is worded should not be pulling up your page that much if you're doing your job in other places. But having said that, I do think that a lot of companies really struggle with, and this is my next point, storytelling and effectively communicating why I as a potential customer or transaction need to care about what you have to offer. I think a lot of businesses out there really struggle articulating well what is the problems that you're solving well? What are the features? What sets you apart from your competitors? Things like that that make me feel comfortable either giving you my hard-earned money, my hard-earned time, because that's extreme luxury for a lot of people, or my information if you're looking for lead capture. I believe a lot of people out there get stuck in the day-to-day and understanding you know all the benefits to your company, but are you really articulating well in a in a way that people can easily understand what those benefits really are and having said all that let's say you've taken the time your website isn't screaming for attention and you've done a great job storytelling what's the benefit of all that if i can't read what you're writing and so the next point that we'll pivot to is spend some time this week and assess where you're at with your typography what do we mean by that what's the size of your fonts, what are the fonts that you're actually using, but also, and this is important, how well does it contrast? I notice that a lot of sites out there use text on images or color backgrounds and things like that. And you really need to take in mind when you start bridging into that territory, how does that look on different devices? You know, it might look fine on my retina display laptop with a great monitor, but is it gonna look the same on a a mobile device or a crappy monitor, things like that? Or is it so small that people like me with glasses who have maybe some eye struggles can't really digest the stories that you are putting forth that I really need to care about? You've taken the time to really curate this story of these are the values that we have to bring to the table. But if I can't read that and it's not clear, then who cares? You spend all this time really for nothing. If I can't digest that information and understand it well. So spend some time Maybe run some usability panels. What I like to call this is the grandmother or mother-in-law test. You know, spend some time and present it to maybe some older individuals and see can they understand what you're really talking about. Not necessarily the technical nitty-gritty. Maybe they don't know what a cloud service is. That's fine. But can they actually read and understand what you're talking about? That's what we're really getting at with typography. The last couple, because we spent a lot of time here, that I wanted to give for my own personal experience is one, making sure, let's say you're doing all of that great, you have awesome images, you have storytelling, you have great color contrast. What's the benefit of all that if your web page? loads like AOL error internet. So take some time and assess where we at with speed. Google has some great tools out there. Page Insights will give you a speed score, some things that you can improve on. But we know from a lot of data that not only do users get frustrated with slow loading pages that affect your conversion rates. But now that has become an SEO factor. And so Google and these search engines will start penalizing you with a slow site. Just because you have a great landing page, make sure that you are also loading quickly for your visitors. The next two that we're going to cover quickly, continuity. I've seen a lot of companies trash great landing pages because they felt like the conversion rate was very low, but that was because they were throwing garbage traffic at it. And so You need to really assess if a landing page is performing poorly. Is that really because the landing page is not developed or designed well? Or are people coming to that page with absolutely different expectations? Maybe the PPC traffic you're throwing at it, the ad copy, is completely different. So I'm coming to this page with a certain expectation, or maybe I'm clicking through an email, and I arrive at this page, maybe the sale is completely different, or what the actual subject of the page is a complete contrast with the email that I received or the PPC ad that I clicked through. So make sure that as people are coming onto our sites, they're visiting us, that the whole visit has some continuity. Like I said, I've seen some great landing pages thrown in the trash because people felt like there were some problems with it, but the problems didn't lie with the page. It was actually the traffic they were sending to it and the mixed messaging that was going on. The last thing is, because this is hot, this is the new hotness in landing pages as of late, is interstitials. And what I mean by that is those light boxes, those pop-ups subscribe today, you know, become part of our newsletter, pay us for a subscription, whatever it might be. Just because competitors are doing it doesn't mean that necessarily needs to be a strategy for you. And I've seen that those can be executed very well and be extremely successful, but they can also really hinder the performance of a page. So If you are going the interstitial route, pop-ups, things like that, make sure you test into that and understand what is the best strategy for you as a company going forward, because that can really affect the conversion rates of a page. But that's enough on that. Rob? Take us into email land. What are some of the tests that we need to have on our roadmap for 2015? What are some of the email things that we need to be paying attention to and really be crafting our strategy for?
0: Welcome to email land. All right, Insert so this is <laughs> music. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, a blog post from crazyegg.com, their blog. The title is, Four Ways to Immediately Improve Results from Your Email Marketing. So basically four takeaways. You know, I wanted to talk about this. We talked about some of the stats from the Black Friday, crazy Thanksgiving weekend. Email's a huge channel. I mean, email has always been a huge bang for your buck type channel. In fact, Crazy Egg here has a quote. It says, email has an ROI of 4,300%. <laughs> I don't know how much of that I believe, but it is still nonetheless very valuable and something that I think a lot of marketers maybe tend to ignore because it's just marketing to people we've already sold to. Right. Uh, but that is kind of the point is that, you know, we've already won the difficult battle, which is winning people to our side to buy our products. Let's continue to sell them other products or that product right. again or whatever it is. It's always cheaper to sell yes. to previous customers than acquire new ones. Yeah, absolutely. And it's relatively very low cost to just shoot an email out to a customer list than it is to try to buy an equal number of of paid search visitors. So let's run through these really quickly here. Number one is focusing on your subject line, everything else in terms of an email marketing campaign pales in comparison. What else am I talking about here? So things like subject lines, creatives, how often you send, when you send, HTML versus text. I mean, how do you send it out? Plain text or graphics or whatever? What kind of call to action do you have? All of those things are different elements of an email marketing campaign. But of all those, a recent survey conducted by Experian has found that 62% of marketers found that subject line is the most valuable part of their email marketing campaigns. It has the most impact. 19% claimed it was creative. 6% claimed frequency. So how often they send and then 6% claimed the time of the day that they're actually sending it. All of those things I do think matter. And again, some of this matter depends on what kind of email campaigns you're mm-hmm. sending. I've personally noticed very large differences between, for example, sending an email at 3 p.m. versus sending it at 5 p.m. Pretty shockingly large differences between performance. But one of the things I do want to you know, tell people to keep in mind when they look at email marketing campaigns is that everyone is kind of unique. Every email you send out is unique in terms of what are people's expectations that have been set from previous ones you've sent, what's the current market look like right now. So you can't always compare past performance and expect that on future performance. Anyway, number two, if you want click-throughs, use less content in your email for each link. This is actually some data gathered from a MailChimp post. So a post and a post. The gist of it is that they've found that according to the data, using 8 to 12 words per URL in your email is the ideal spot for enhancing click-throughs. Again, as we always say, uh, click-throughs aren't the end-all be-all. We're ultimately trying to sell something. So don't just look at that. For example, maybe more words per URL gets us fewer clicks, but better pre-qualifies people so we actually get more sales. That's something you need to take into consideration. Number three, transactional emails get more eyeballs. This is an opportunity. So Ooh, this
1: is the gold nugget from the article in my eyes.
0: In your eyes. Well, in my eyes. good thing those aren't the only ones that matter. I'm just kidding.
1: No, I, I mean,
0: I, I think that this is another one of those things that a lot of marketers sort of gloss over transactional emails mean things like uh, welcome emails shipping notices receipt emails Anything that's talking about, that's like basically an automated email that goes out to your customers or people on your list. These are opportunities that a lot of people miss. Promote, cross-sell different products, upsell different products. Get people involved on your website and things you want them to do. Leave reviews, whatever it is. Get these people actively engaged because the difference in click-through rates and open rates and interaction rates between a non-transactional and a transactional email is huge. The average open rate on a non-transactional is 20% The average on a transactional is 37.7%. So almost double the amount of people are looking at your transactional type emails, but most marketing campaigns don't. Yeah, like I
1: think a great example they have in the article is so when you get an order confirmation from Amazon, they don't just provide that information. They use that email to also try to sell you on products. Here are some recommended ones that might go along with that purchase, or things from your history. To your point, as a company, we know that these transactional emails, these order confirmation, these shipping confirmations, these password reset, those type of emails are going to get the eyes. So why not also throw in some other aspects that email, because we know we're going to have the attention to potentially put some more money in the bank. And I think a lot of companies don't even stop and think about that. But I thought it was a really on point tip from the article.
0: All right. And finally, this is the last one. I'm going to make this one quick. And your subject line, be straightforward and explicit about who you are. Again, this is based on MailChimp data. So they took basically two groups of emails and looked at their subject lines. They looked at best open rates, Meaning between 60 and 87 percent, they looked at worst open rates, meaning between one and 14 percent, and they tried to glean some insights from these different groups and categories. And three basic takeaways in this crazy AI blog post are: the subject line states the company name in the better performing ones. Subject line describes the subject of the email pretty directly. And number three, the subject line is very clear and it's not cute or artsy or marketing languagey or whatever (laughs) you want to say. Basic examples are just the name of the company and this is our newsletter type emails tend to get massive open rates, whereas the cutesy ones like give a gift certificate this holiday need more advertising value, things like a questioner-based, things like that, tend to get lower open rates. So those are four tips, again, from Crazy Egg. I'll try to remember to tweet out a link. <laughs> Definitely
1: like that. some good tips in yeah. there that at least bear in mind some testing on your front to see how well they work for you. All right. So that's enough
0: about emails. Really quickly, I always say this and it ends up being long, but really quickly here, I wanted to talk about social beating search and referral traffic. For the second time this year, but this year I think for the first time in many years or ever, if that makes any sense. And this is based on data from Shareaholic and a Marketing Land blog post. I'm gonna bring you back to July of 2013. Organic search traffic on average drove 40.39% of traffic to websites. And social referrals drove 14.43%. So pretty big difference there, right? Over time, we're getting closer and closer. December 13, we're looking at 40% and 22.42% for social. So social's gaining ground, but search isn't losing any. Let's fast forward to June of 2014, this summer. Organic search traffic driving 29.4% of traffic. Social referrals driving 30.93%. They've stolen... 10 percentage points and added it to themselves and plus some for the social networking websites keeps on growing. So it's something that we all knew was going to happen. It's the same thing that this is I think similar to the trend in mobile. This is similar to the trend in just everybody spending more online. This is one of those trends that's just going to only continue to increase. Yeah.
1: And I think part of it I, we're going to go into this next episode, but there is a great article by Copyblogger that talks about the generational differences and why social is emerging as a strong player and that's partly just due to age differences and how they consume media, which I think will be a poignant thing to talk about based on
0: these. One additional add to that is I think a huge part of it is the great and very tight integration that these social networks have done with ads lately. Oh, yes. so That's a huge part of it, I think.
1: All right, what's going on with Google? So a couple things we wanted to cover this week. One, if you're a local business and you use Google Maps to drive traffic, be aware that they updated their guidelines and in particular, if you have multiple office locations, things like that, there are some new rules around that that can get you banned. So make Make sure you check in with Google Maps and your business places pages, just to make sure you're in compliance. Also, if you notice some jockeying around on your organic results, just know that the latest Penguin Update 3.0 is still rolling out. Penguin, if you're not aware, there's a lot of animal names, is the algorithm that Google uses to analyze what your backlinks are and how they should ascertain your authority and web results. They've recently updated how that algorithm works. So some people are winners, some people are losers. And just be aware that that is still rolling out and so if you're seeing some movement there that might be one of the reasons why but you should always be looking at your link portfolio and adjusting that so keep an eye on that we talk about it a lot but if you're not using google webmaster tools you really should be paying attention and then the last thing speaking of social there was a great article that came out that talked about out of the social world and ones that drive traffic now this might be a debatable fact. But YouTube actually beat out Facebook and unique visitors each and every month. So if you haven't thought about that as a marketing channel, it can be a little daunting, a little bit different of a channel, but they do get a lot of eyes. I think what is fluxing potentially some of that is international traffic where Facebook might not be as strong, but YouTube is a massive marketing channel. And so if you haven't explored that, it is potentially less competitive than others, but it will take some startup time and understanding how, that all works. How do you produce videos well and not look like an idiot? But Rob has some great videos on that. Our friends over at Wistia have some great videos on that. So if you haven't checked out YouTube as a marketing channel, just to put some numbers behind this, there was a question asked by Global Web Index, who does large surveys, and they were asking of adults living outside of china because they have the firewall how often have you visited x site per month youtube garnered 85 percent of online adults outside of china versus facebook 76 so a pretty drastic lead over one another and again if you haven't considered that as a marketing channel definitely worth a look some very unique things that you can do on that channel but some things and caveats you need to be aware of that's going to do it first on this episode wow covered a lot of stuff i was excited and i'm excited for the next episode where we can pick up on some of these topics some more if you had a great time we'd ask a couple things one you'd share with a friend a colleague or a lover as rob likes to say also leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on it helps us grow the channel but also know where we stand and any adjustments that we need to make if you have an idea for the show, maybe you listen every week and think, hmm, those bearded guys? They're pretty smart. they didn't think about this or they missed this, let us know. Or if you're struggling with something, maybe the boss is yelling at you. We have a lot of experience in the industry and if we can't help you out directly, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that can. You can reach us a couple ways. One, Twitter, as Rob mentioned, The Beard Marketers, where we tweet out all the links covered in the episode. the slash contact. We have a form on our website. Or, you can call us directly at our Beard Marketers Crisis hotline 904-270-9603 leave us a message there or you can text us and we'll get back to you thank you again so much for your time and we'll see you next week Ciao.